Just got a, uh, a note handed to me. Looks like uh, Peter Dye is going to be going home with the Lord any moment now. But uh, praise the Lord, it is well with his soul. I do not, I do not know how a lost world can deal with that. How does a lost world have no idea where they'll spend eternity and step off and have to face it? I do not know. Instead, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. You know, the Bible doesn't say that we don't sorrow. Instead, it says that we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. That's the difference. The difference isn't that we don't sorrow. It's that we sorrow with hope, knowing where we'll be for all of eternity, knowing where our loved ones are for all of eternity because they trusted in the one who came to save them. And this morning, Mark chapter 1 uh, Sunday night, I started a series, and if you missed the first one, you missed the book of Matthew, all right? At least the introduction. And uh, I'm going to preach four messages. They're not a shocker as to the order. We're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. And uh, as we enter into December here in the Christmas season, uh, last Sunday night we preached, and I uh, preached on uh, the birth of the king. And Jesus Christ, the King, shows up on the scene, and uh, they sang about it here uh, this morning. The kids were singing, and the King has come into the world. And those wise men from the east show up, and in they come, and they gather around to do what? Well, to worship. They, they know the King has arrived. Uh, we've come, why? For to worship. And so last week, we looked at that on Sunday night. This morning, we're going to pick up the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the entirety of the book of Matthew portrays Jesus Christ mainly as the king of the Jews. That's the way it wants to portray it. That's the look that you get. That's the lineage that you get. And uh, so at Christmas time, we usually read one of two passages from the Gospels. And the first is there in Matthew chapter 2, and the other is in Luke chapter 2, right? Those are the two places that we go and we look at. Nobody ever goes to Mark. You ever notice that? Nobody's like, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Let's go to Mark. No, uh, it's not in there. Uh, look at what he says here in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 1. So you're going to preach a message on the birth of Christ with no birth of Christ. Here we are, all right? Uh, verse number 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And into John the Baptist it goes, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. And the book of Mark is particular. He's very odd in relation to uh, the other Gospels. Uh, he's odd because he gives you no beginning of the life of Jesus Christ. Luke, you have his birth, right? The days that Caesar Augustus and all the world should be taxed, and right? And you have it. 
And that's where we find that he's born in the manger, right? And they laid him in, right? They're born in the stables, laid in the manger, all the, thing, right? all the things that we read and, and we know. We get that from Luke. John, the son, shows up. And you get his beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. We'll get there a couple weeks. But that's where he is. Gives his lineage, tells you where he came from. Mark doesn't do any of that. Mark jumps right in and says, okay, here we are. Boom, John the Baptist is already preaching. In a moment, if you were to read down the rest of the passage, Jesus is about to show up and get baptized. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't happen in Matthew chapter 1 or chapter 2. That's not, how they, that's not how Matthew starts. That's not how Luke starts. Chapter 1, chapter 2, that's not how he is. John doesn't even start there. Mark does. The entirety of the book of Mark is all about the ministry of Jesus Christ and what he's about to do. It's all about the work that he is going to do. It eliminates all the extras about the regular life of Jesus Christ ultimately and goes straight into this is Jesus and what he does. Now he's very particular. He starts it off with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants you to know exactly who he is, the Son of God. Now, he makes no bones about who he is. It's not that he's watering down who Jesus is or anything like that. He's just going to give you a look at the work of Jesus Christ and what he does. Because what he does is so incredible, and he does it all because he is the Son of God. But it doesn't give his lineage. Because ultimately, the book of Mark looks at Jesus Christ as the servant that shows up. He says in Zechariah chapter 3 that, Behold, I will send forth my servant, the branch. And he tells exactly what he's going to do and how he's going to do all these things. God's servant shows up. Interestingly enough, you get here to this spot, and the servant of God has arrived on the scene, and he's about to do some things, and his, his life is prophesied of. What is strange about Mark is verse number two. And the reason it's so strange, now I don't, I don't, I don't all the time, I swear. I jump over all these things. There's a ton of these. This one is very particular to me, that the new versions change. They change the word prophets to Isaiah. Now what's, what's the big deal? The big deal is that verse two is not quoted anywhere in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah never said it. Say, so where do I find that? Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1. That's where you find it. In fact, interestingly, when you go back to Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1, it is the Lord of hosts speaking. That's who it says at the end of the verse, of verse number 1. And it says that he'll send his messenger before me. God speaking, he says, I'm going to send my own messenger before me, before my own face. But when he gets here, he says, I'll send my messenger before thy face. So who's he talking about? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God arrived in the flesh, shown up in front of you. You say, why do they say Isaiah in those new versions? Evidently, they don't know where that is in Malachi chapter 3. And all they could think of is verse number 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, because that is Isaiah chapter 40. That's where that's found. So which would be right? Well, there's two verses and two prophets. Well, then I guess the prophets. Makes a whole lot more sense. But don't worry. 
All those versions are just the same. It's fine. They're not. And they're wrong. I have an infallible Bible. And right here they failed. So why do you say that? Because it eliminates Jesus Christ. In fact, it removes his deity. You miss the cross reference, you miss his deity. You feel free. Look at Malachi chapter 3. You know what you get? The Lord of hosts. God of the universe. Stepping down and having a messenger go before him before he shows up. And the one that steps on the scene is Jesus Christ himself. The Son of God. Who shows up. God manifests in the flesh. Jesus Christ the righteous. There he is. Onto the scene he comes. And Mark doesn't want to deter from the fact that this is the very Son of God stepped down out of the glories of heaven to come down to the face of this earth. But he does need you to understand that the Son of God becomes servant of all. And that's exactly what he is throughout the book. And so this morning I want to preach on the birth of the servant today. All of Jesus Christ's life, all of his life, is contained in just a few verses of this idea that Luke chapter 2, verse number 49, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business. His whole life is summed up in the statement that he makes in Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19 where he says that he has come to save that which was lost. He was a man on a mission. He shows up and in John chapter 8 and verse number 29 he says, I do always those things that please him, the Father. You, that's quite a statement. He says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45 that he came to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he showed up. The servant has arrived to perform the task given to him by the master. You realize the entirety of the book of Mark is only 16 chapters long? It immediately starts and it only covers the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ before his death. It covers his death, his burial, his resurrection, but that's, that's, that's the end of it. That's what he covers. He covers that ministry and what he came to do and how he got there. It doesn't care about his lineage because nobody cares about the lineage of a servant. He skips right over that. All that matters about the servant is what have you done. That's all it is. What task has been accomplished? What things have been finished? What work have you put out? Because all that matters is that the master is pleased. I do always those things that please him. It's amazing. He came to give his life a ransom for many. You realize that by chapter 11 in the book of Mark, you want to know how efficient Mark is? 16 chapters. He is the shortest of the gospels. Not only is he the shortest of the gospels, he also covers the, the materials faster and better except for the most important section. Jesus Christ's job, right? What was he come to do? He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save that which was, like that was his job, right? His job was to become the savior of the world. He steps out, boom, right here. You know what? Chapter 11. Ten chapters cover literally three and a half years of ministry. He does it in ten chapters. Chapter 11, triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Moving into Jerusalem, the last week of his life here on the face of the earth, he covers in five chapters 
10 chapters for three and a half years. You know what he does? That last week, I'm going to give him five chapters to cover everything he does in detail as he leads up to the death, the day that the servant finishes the task he was given. That's amazing. Ten chapters to cover all of his life, but the final week. And that last week, he takes five chapters to cover it. You think Mark wasn't being particular about the details he wanted to give when he wanted to give them? He was moving that story right along. He was quick. And these, Mark is like the cliff notes for the other Gospels. Like, it's, it's like, hey, what do you want? Well, just read Mark. You'll catch all the highlights. That is all you need, you know, get it done. Mark hits the highlights until he gets to that last week when the servant is about to fulfill the ministry that he was given to finish by his master. And so this morning, if you would, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'll be honest, this was the hardest message of the series for me to figure out how I wanted to, how we were doing this today. And Philippians chapter 2 is the only way I can figure. You know the spot. This is not an unfamiliar area of the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the spot Jesus becomes a servant and ultimately becomes servant of all as he gives his life a ransom for many. Let's have a word of prayer. We're going to look at the life of that servant. The birth of the servant has come, and what is he going to do? Father, I do thank you for the morning. I thank you for the precious blood of Christ that can wash away all of the sin that we've ever committed, all the sin we'll ever commit. I thank you for the servant that came and gave his life to pay the debt of ours, that he was obedient, that he accomplished the task that you gave him. Because without him accomplishing that task, we would be destined for a lake of fire for all of eternity. What a wonderful God you are to us. And I pray you would bless the service today. I don't know if anybody here is lost without Jesus Christ, but I pray they wouldn't leave that way if they are. I pray they'd call upon him today that they'd see that there is a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is the only Savior. And he came to save them. And I pray they'd call upon him. Lord, for the Christian here, I pray each and every one of us at the end of our lives would be obedient unto death. And we'd hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray you would bless our day today. Continue to bless those who were unable to be here with sicknesses and travel and different things. Protect them. Lord, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Notice the first thing he says about this man. About Jesus Christ, he's, he's God. Just like Mark wanted you to understand, this is God showing up on the scene. But he goes ahead and does one thing that no other God has ever done. He makes himself a man. 
He says in verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. You realize the son of God stepped down out of the glories of heaven where he had zero problems. There's no problems in heaven. We think of the place of heaven and we, you know, it's the place of no more sorrow or crying or tears, no pain, no suffering, no death, no diseases, no anything. It's all just pure and perfect. He steps out of that place and you know what he does? He becomes a man. So he subjugates himself to what a man is. You say, what is a man? A man is someone who can be tempted. Jesus Christ was in all points tempted like as we are. You immediately see it as soon as he... As soon as he gets baptized, right, he goes into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights and he's tempted of the devil. When has God ever been tempted? The Bible says in James, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God, God's never been tempted before. No temptation. Not for him. But Jesus, there he is, allows himself to have temptation to show up. Jesus Christ, you realize he has, never, he has never been a baby before? God's just been God. Babies are completely helpless. Could you imagine the God of the universe is now completely helpless? Isn't that, does that mess with your mind at all? Like, am I the only one who's like, how's that work? How does it work that by him all things consist and he is a baby that can do nothing? And still, the only reason his mom's heart's beating is because he's holding her molecules together. How does that work? You say, I don't know. That's right, because great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I don't understand all that. You say, how can he be God and still be a baby and still... Because he's God. He can do what he likes. I was telling the teenager, I was teaching uh, Brother Kevin's Sunday school class. You realize that God literally wrote the book on how everything works? You also realize that he created the loophole that you and I have to get us into a sinless heaven when we're not sinless? You don't think he could ever change the rules to whatever he needs them to be so that he can go ahead and win, like to do whatever he wants? They're his rules. Right? I mean, he goes ahead and when he quotes different places, he changes what it says when it gets to the New Testament so he can fit what he needed it to fit. That's what he does. He gets to the New Testament and forgets all the failures of the people in the Old Testament when he writes Hebrews chapter 11. He does what I, he makes up the rules as he goes sometimes, I think. I don't know. But he's got it all laid out. And as he sets it all up, you realize that if he wants to, he can do what he wants. So if he wants to be a man, he can be a man and still be God Almighty whether you understand him or not. And here he is, he's a little baby, he's born into a world, and he goes ahead and he's still the God of the universe. But he humbles himself. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll step down and I'll limit myself to be a man. God doesn't slumber or sleep, but Jesus was asleep in a boat. God doesn't get hungry, but Jesus Christ ate, and he hungered. You get that right away. 
right? Tempted, 40 days, 40, he's fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he's tempted of the devil. He's hungry. God's never hungry. Jesus Christ is thirsty. He's at the cross, I thirst. God's never been thirsty. Jesus Christ was in need. You know, Jesus borrowed a lot of stuff. You ever notice that? Hey, go in there and tell that guy I need his donkey. <laughs> You'll go in there, there's a colt, the foal of an ass tied. You go ahead and go in there. Just go tell him the Lord hath need of him. And he'll just give it to you. It'll be fine. <laughs> He's borrowed everything. He even borrowed his own tomb. That wasn't his. He only needed it for a few days. <laughs> but he was laid in a... That wasn't his tomb. That was Joseph's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea lays him in his own tomb. He's only going to borrow it for three days. What's the big deal? <laughs> he won't make it to four, so he won't even stink the place up. He'll be out, out of the way, no problem. Just give me a couple of days. It'll be fine. He borrowed everything. When does God ever need to borrow anything from anybody? <laughs> he doesn't need any of that. When is God, when is God ever sorrowed? He did at the tomb of Lazarus. When has God been betrayed? Well, Jesus got betrayed. Say, so you and I can betray him. Absolutely. You talk about the limits, the gossip and the lies and the twisting and all the things he had to deal with. When? Is, when, when does God ever have to really put up with any of that? Realize if, if God wants to and you want to lie about him and tell all the bad stories about him, he'll just wipe you out. He'll just just stop thinking about you. You'll wind up in a lake of fire and it'll all be over with. <laughs> Done. Realize Jesus Christ, when he becomes a man, the greatness of the God of the universe limits himself. To just be a man. That's unbelievable. That's almost, that's almost completely inconceivable to our mind. That the infinite God of the universe would become into a finite man. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't flying through the air like Superman. He wasn't, he wasn't leaping tall buildings in a single bound. He was just like you and me walking around. He was a normal human being limited, limited by our limitations. So yeah, but he could heal people. Well, he had the power of God, yes. But he purposely limited it. Think about it this way. The limitations that he can put on himself are real simple. He's in a crowd of people. Everybody's bumping up against him. Everybody's touching. Everybody's doing what they can to get near him. And that woman, right, that with the issue of blood, 12 years, comes up behind him, touches the hem of his garment, and he goes, virtue came out of me. What just happened? Who touched me? Right? The disciples are all around him going, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Everybody's reaching out just to get a hand on Jesus. 
just to get close to the greatness of who he is. And he goes, yeah, but somebody did something different. You don't think anybody else there had anything else going on in their life that they needed Jesus to touch it? Everybody there needed Jesus. But that woman got something nobody else had gotten from just a simple... You say, what happened? The power of God happened. But only on the individual. Only on the one. Because he could control that power. He didn't just open-end it. He gave it to whomsoever he will. He shows up. It is God who goes ahead and shows up and leaves. And you know what he is? This is the hard part for people to get. It is still God confined to what you and I are confined to. So yeah, but he could break that whenever he felt like it. Yeah, but he didn't. That's the thing, he didn't. Well, you know, he got victory over temptation because he's God and God can't sin. That's not what it said. How can he be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin? There is no temptation if there is no chance of failure. And here's Jesus. And he's tempted. If he's not tempted, he wasn't tempted like as we are. And it's no marvel that he didn't sin. That's just cheating. And it's highly dishonest by God. Could you imagine if God said, hey, I, I was tempted just like you were, although I couldn't sin. There was zero chance for me to fail. And there's always a chance for you to fail. That's, that's not an honest God. The honesty is, he could have failed just like me. He chose not to. It proves the point that you and I don't have to fail. That beloved, now are we the sons of God. And although you and I are humanity, and although you and I are mankind, we don't have to fail. We don't have to succumb to all the things that we're tempted by. And here he is, and he becomes a man. And he says in verse number 7 here, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Oof. You talk about humbling yourself right here. You want to know what it is to humble yourself? Here's a good picture. Be the king of the universe. Be the when you step out and you say these words, there is a God like unto me. Is there a God like unto me? I know not any. And there is nobody like you in greatness, in power, in majesty, in might. There's nobody even close to your wisdom, to your grace, to your mercies, to your compassions, to your long-suffering. There's nothing even close to your holiness. There's nothing even to your righteousness. There's nobody even comparable and then go, okay, I'm going to become a man and live down there. God's description of mankind in Isaiah is that the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. 
I'm not into reincarnation, but could you imagine being a grasshopper? After you've been a man, after you've been humanity, you step down to become a grasshopper? That's what God did. You talk about a humbling experience. I mean, grasshoppers, kids rip the wings and the legs and everything off. They torture grasshoppers. <laughs> That's weird and sadistic. That's what, right? I mean, you, just, you kick them, you throw them, you do all sorts of weird stuff because they're little grasshoppers. They're of no significance to you and I. And the God of the universe steps down to become a grasshopper. Wow. That's humbling. Say, why did he do such a thing? Hold your place right here. We'll jump right back. But look over at Mark. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. Now the disciples are back there arguing behind him while they're walking. All right. Verse number 33, and he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Look at chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse number 42. You got James and John, right? The sons of Zebedee, right hand and on the left. You know, that's what they, they want, the prominence, right? Verse number 42, but Jesus called, uh, called them to him and saith unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' statement is, I came to be a servant. Not only did he leave as the God of the universe and set aside his throne as the king of kings, he didn't come down to be royalty. He came down to serve. That's humility. That's being humble. Think just for a moment. He has all the power of God, right? We see him exercise it every once in a while, healing people raising the dead, doing the most amazing miracles, feeding 5,000 people at once, feeding for the, feeding all, taking care of all the needs of all these people and healing whoever and going ahead and forgiving the sins and doing He's doing it all. He can exercise that power when he wants to. But when it got to Calvary, when it got to Calvary, They don't deserve, he doesn't deserve to get crucified. 
Why? What evil hath he done? Even Pilate knows he's not supposed to get crucified. Well, he made himself the Son of God. What if he is the Son of God? The centurion, and Mark, the centurion figures it out. Truly, this man was the Son of God. We're in trouble. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. We know of a truth. I mean, over and over again, the declarations are coming out. This guy is not human. Like, he's not normal. But he's, uh, we got to get rid of him. Pilate knew that for envy, they had delivered him up. Over and over again, he, he, they know. They know he's supposed to be king. They know who he's supposed to be. They know exactly what they're doing. And you know what Jesus' statement is? You want to know a humble moment? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You don't think he had cause to go, these people ought to die. <laughs> right? He looks at Peter. Peter goes, takes, takes the sword and cuts Malchus's ear off and goes, and he says, don't you know I could call legions of angels? Lay waste to this place if I want to. You know what humility involves? Knowing you have all the power and not executing it. That's humble. Knowing that it would do no good for the people that you are in front of. You know what Jesus Christ, could, he could have executed all power. And he says, no, I'll humble myself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Say why? Because he's the servant. His task was not to destroy the world. His task was to save it. His task was not to destroy and to wipe out and to come down here and be the judge of all the earth at that particular moment. It wasn't to come down and rule with a rod of iron. It wasn't to come and fix all of your problems that way. It wasn't to come in and step and bring into his own kingdom. Instead, it was that he would give his life a ransom for many. That was the goal. The goal was for him to step down out of the glories of heaven, set aside his kingly throne, set aside his royal robes, and step down into swaddling clothes, be a baby in a manger, go ahead and grow up and live a perfect sinless life to become the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and lay down his life so that you and I could have eternal life. The servant steps in. And all he is going to do is please the Father. That's all he wants to do. That is all his mission is, and his mission is to be finished. He lays aside the praise of the angels to come down and have shepherds gather to praise him. I don't know about you, but chorus of angels versus a chorus of shepherds are really comparable. He rises from off of his throne knowing that they would be laying him in a tomb. How's that for a deal? You talk about humility. All the greatness of God set aside so that he could become a man and be obedient unto death. Notice he humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2 he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Obedient unto death. 
You know, the servant's job is just to obey. That's all it is. It's to obey. Look over at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I know oftentimes we go to Luke and Matthew for this. In Mark chapter 14 and verse number 32, and they came, Mark 14, 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I, I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed, and, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. We know what happens. He goes back and they're sleeping and watch and pray. And he comes back in verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. He returns. And then he goes the third time. And then he comes back and sleep on. He's already betrayed into the hands of sinners. Say, what's he doing? He's resigning. He's being humble and obedient now. The obedience is, I don't think Jesus really cares about dying. I don't think, I don't think death is really the thing bothering Jesus right here. He knows he's going to rise three days later. He's not too worried about things. He knows this is a temporary moment. Just like temporarily he's going to be a man for 33 years, he can handle dying for three days and rising again. That's not a big deal. Say, what doesn't he want? He doesn't want to be the payment. He has to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The death of the cross is not the question of just death. It's the question of what he's paying for. He has to taste death for every man. That's the goal. In chapter 15, he's on the cross. In chapter 15, he goes ahead and in verse number 37. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He finishes. You cross-reference that over to John chapter 19 and verse number 30. It's the last thing he cries. It is finished. And he bows his head and he gave up the ghost. Say, what's finished? Mark 10, 45 is finished. Give his life a ransom for many. The servant's job was to give his life a ransom for many. The servant's job was to lay it down and to let them take it from him. The servant's job was to pay the price of all of your sins. The servant's job was to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. The servant's job was to make it so that you and I could have heaven forever. The servant's job was to make it so you actually had forgiveness of sins. 
That was the servant's job. His reward is that three days later he'd rise from the dead. His reward is that he would be given a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the reward for the servant willing to obey and be humbled. And Jesus Christ is the obedient servant. He doesn't stay dead. He rises to ensure victory. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know a Savior has come into the world. The God of the universe did the one thing that no other God has ever done. He became a man and gave his life for his creation. Religion says, give your life. Jesus said, I gave my life for thee. Jesus says, I'll pay the price. Religion says, pay us. Jesus Christ says, I've paid the debt already for you. I'll give you a free gift. That free gift of eternal life, if you trust me. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's not a maybe. It's not a might. It's not a hope so. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus Christ, the servant, gave his life to make sure you had the payment for all of your sins if you want it. And all it takes for you is to believe him and trust him. It's why he came. It's why he lived. It's why he died so that he could give you eternal life so that he could pay the debt of your sins. And the servant fulfilled his mission. His mission was to give his life a ransom for many. He succeeded. It is finished. You realize when Jesus Christ was baptized in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 11, God says this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's quite the declaration. In whom I am well pleased. Christian, you're saved in here. You're going to heaven. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I don't know about you, but you know what would be wonderful to hear? The declaration from the Father saying, like he did in Matthew 25, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know what's amazing to me is that one day you and I could stand in front of God knowing how unfaithful and how not good we are. <laughs> and there's still a chance we get to hear that. But I want you to know something. If you're not trying to be good and you're not trying to be faithful, you're not going to hear it. That you're just not realize Jesus Christ was the perfect servant. And I know you and I are not the perfect servants, right? 
but I hope you're striving to be something close to it. I hope you're striving to be. You look at Jesus Christ and the servant steps into the world and he always does those things that please the Father and you and I don't always do those things. But I hope, man, most of the time, I hope you're getting something right. And when you don't have it right, I hope you're getting forgiveness and go, Lord, I want to try again. Let me try again. And you know what he says? I'll let you try again. Let's try again. Let's try to be better servants. Let's try to go ahead and see if we can be more like Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and see that maybe at the end of our lives, we'll hear the epitaph, well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I hope that'll be you. I hope that'll be me. I hope we stand faithful till he comes. He came so that you and I could have a relationship with the Holy God, have our sins forgiven forever, and then be a servant to the Most High God. What a wonder. What a wonder, the birth of a servant. Let's go ahead and stand this evening, or this morning. We didn't make it to this evening. I didn't preach that long. <laughs> we hadn't even made it to afternoon yet, all right? Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you just unsure. You've never done it. I'd ask that you would consider. Consider that servant that gave his life for you. Consider that servant that laid down his life for you. Consider the servant that went ahead and paid the price of all of your sins. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. He certainly didn't deserve it. Maybe you'd come and you'd let us open up a Bible and show you out of the Word of God how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven forever. Please let us. We won't force you. We won't make you. We won't make you do anything. But we'd love to answer your questions and show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. It is the best gift you'll ever get this month. It is the best gift you'll ever get in an entire lifetime. It is the absolute best thing you could ever have is the gift of eternal life and Jesus paid for all of it if you'd be willing to receive it. And Christian, maybe you got some things going on and you just haven't been as faithful as you know you ought to be. You haven't been as good as you know you ought to be. You haven't done what you know you're supposed to do. Maybe you need to come down and ask the Lord to forgive you for a moment and ask Him if He'd let you try a little... Try a little harder today to be a better servant for him. Lord, I do pray you would bless the invitation now. Work in hearts. Lord, I pray Jesus Christ would be honored today. Thank you for being the faithful servant that you were to give your life, to make it possible for us to have eternal life. I pray if someone here doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray they wouldn't leave that way. I pray Jesus Christ would be their Savior before they leave. Father, we love you and we pray you come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen.